reading from the book of Acts. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man of full faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Perenus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of the God, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm the senior pastor here at One Fellowship. It really is a joy to have all of you join us this morning. The title of our message today is The Flourishing Family. And before we dive in, would you mind bowing your heads with me for one more word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this fall, we jumped into the book of Acts and we launched a sermon series on Acts and then we hit pause during Advent. But today, in this spring, we're jumping back into the book of Acts, and today we're specifically looking at Acts chapter 6. I pray that today's message would not only touch your minds and your hearts, but also your hands and your feet, and you'll see why in just a little bit. But let's begin with a question. Does vacationing with family bless you? Does vacationing with little family bless you? Uh, just after Christmas Eve and our services here, which were spectacular, um, my family and I, we made our way to New York City. Some extended family provided a trip for us, and we were able to escape, kind of get off the grid, if you will. And I told our kids, it's all about food and fun. In fact, when they opened up uh, their Christmas presents on Christmas morning, it was uh, a gift of donuts from Donuttery in the Chelsea markets. Anyone been to the Chelsea markets? I said, Blaze, here's a promise of donuts from Donuttery in Chelsea markets. And Caden opened his, and it's a promise of a slice or actually a whole pizza from John's Pizza in Times Square. Anyone been to John's? Okay. And then for Sailor, it was ice skating with her dad in New York City. It started off as a great trip. I've got some pictures. Um, what is this, guys? Central Park. What a gift to New York. What a gift to us. You can just run for hours around this park, and, 
In fact, kind of like little dogs, that's what we did with the, the two youngest right when we got there. And there's rocks you can boulder around. It's really beautiful. And then uh, we did go skating in Bryant Park. Bryant Park is great. It's surrounded by vendors, different food and things you can buy. You can ice skate in uh, Rockefeller Center, Central Park, or Bryant Park. And somehow we, we squeezed into Bryant Park. Then to keep the adventure going, we rented bikes. And you can bike down the Greenway, down the Hudson River. And so we biked from uh, around Central Park all the way down to the Battery and looked at um, Statue of Liberty, which was gorgeous. And um, I knew things started to go off the rails when I took this picture. Um, I don't know if you see my daughter on the bottom left, but she has a look of disgust when she's supposed to be smiling at the camera uh, as she's looking at her older brother. Uh, they have a love-hate relationship. And so for our family, if I'm honest, vacationing with family doesn't always bless me, right? Uh, we were lucky enough, first time ever, we had two rooms. We put all the kids in one room. Don't know if it was legal. We did it anyway. <laughs> and uh, here's some things that happened during the trip. During the bike ride, um, we were in different kind of orders, if you will. I was in front leading the way that it was supposed to be Caden, Blaze, Sailor, and Carly. And I look, and Caden and Blaze are zipping past me, racing one another. It's dangerous. And I scream, where's, where's your sister, Blaze? And he goes, Sailor and Mom are too slow. And he just zips down to lower Manhattan. What do I do with that? Okay, and then uh, in the middle of the night, one night, we get a call from Blaze. Hey, Dad, Sailor's throwing up. Can you come help us? I guess we fed her too much fun and adventure. Um, and then this is the best. The last night, we get a call late in the night, around 11 p.m. from Sailor. And, um, and she goes, uh, Mom, Dad, I can't sleep. I hear Caden breathing. <laughs> now, 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing. He wasn't even sleeping. He was reading a book, so he starts screaming at her kind of as she's on the phone. He's like, I'm not even sleeping. And she goes, I know, but I can still hear you breathing, right? You, so you, here's, here's the point. Doing life together reveals the faults in every heart, every home, and even every church family. And I think this gets to the heart of our passage this morning, which is about the church family. The big idea I see in the text is this. When the fractured family acts like the faithful family, they become the flourishing family. And specifically, we're talking about the church. When the fractured family acts like the faithful family, they become the flourishing family. Three points I'd like to share this morning is, one, we all have cracks. Two, we all have worth. And three, we all have purpose. So let's dive into our passage. Point one, we all have cracks. In Acts chapter one, Jesus gives this charge to his disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So for those who were not with us over the fall, I'd like to do a quick recap of the first five chapters of Acts. You see, the book of Acts is short for Acts of the Apostles. It's all about the early church. 
It's the second volume of one work. The first volume is the Gospel of Luke, written by Luke, who's a medical doctor. And what what he hopes we take away from his gospel is Jesus is the Savior of love. If you're in the medical profession, he writes clinically. He takes detailed notes. So um, just check that out as you read through Luke. The second volume, Acts, is all about Jesus, the Savior of love, calling us to his mission of love. I'm going to provide the Holy Spirit. He's going to come on you. You're going to now go, and you're going to carry on my mission, Kim. You're going to carry on my mission, Terry. You're going to carry on my mission, Chuck. And how are you going to do that? Well, you're going to carry on that mission as a family of love. It's absolutely beautiful. In Acts chapter 1, after this call to um, pray for the Holy Spirit, Peter addresses everyone who's there in the early church, and he says, brothers and sisters. And he starts sharing about how they're in the lineage of David. They're called to this. But there's this sense that God is building something special there, and you can read about it just even in Acts chapter 1. And actually, even here, you can sense God's doing something special, can't you? The problem is with any family's uh, problems arise. In, in the early church, you had persecution, you had corruption, and now in Acts, cha- uh, Acts chapter 6, you have division. Oh, these people are being treated this way, and these people aren't being treated this way. And So let's dive in. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained about the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So what are we reading about? Well, in those days, people would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem, to Palestine, and often they would retire there. And the problem is sometimes the gentlemen would pass away before the wives. And if you read uh, throughout the Old Testament that the covenantal family of God, the people of God are supposed to take care of one another as a family. In fact, they're supposed to care for orphans and widows. But these Hellenistic Jews, they're from another culture, and most likely they spoke another language. They were transplants, right? And then the native Jews from Palestine were being treated, whether it was purposeful or not, in a better way. So someone raises the concern that there's a gap. There's a gap in our family. There's a crack in our family. This is a problem. And as the early church grew up, excuse me, as the early church grew out, they faced challenges growing up. I know in your own biological families, that's never been a problem, right? As your family's grown older, it's all hunky-dory. No. The same is true with the family of God. As the church grew out, they faced challenges growing up. It reminds me of a conversation that actually happened right here in this room a few years ago. Our church, we had several community groups. We didn't have a lot. We had one worship service. And the problem is we were running out of space in those groups and in that one service. So we had all of our community group leaders together, and we were talking about the need to prayerfully multiply groups and to maybe even add another service. Believe it or not, this, uh, this rattled a lot of people. Why? Because they said, well, we're going to kind of miss out on relationship and community that we formed, and I'm, a, I'm afraid of that. And there was some tension in the room as honest feedback was shared. And finally, someone raised their hand and they said, well, 
I'm just grateful that you had open arms to welcome me because I wasn't one of the original people in this church, and you made space for me. Wouldn't we want to make space for others? And it's like, oh, yeah, we love you. What's really cool about the story is our groups did multiply. We did multiply to two services. God is still active and moving, building a bigger family. And in fact, some of the people that had concerns are now best friends with people in their new community group, not their old. That's how God works. You see, when things, excuse me, with chains comes challenges in each one of our hearts. And I think the application in this first point is this. As we grow as a church, God wants to create more space in our hearts and his family. Point two, we all have worth. I came across a great story I'd like to share. In 1799, 12-year-old Conrad Reed found a large gold nugget in Little Meadow Creek. I'm going to screw the name up again. Uh, In Cabarrus County, North Carolina. Jerry, help me out. Anyone? Thank you, everybody. Let me start over. In 1799, here we go. 12-year-old Conrad Reed found a large gold nugget in Little Meadow Creek. Cabarrus County, North Carolina, while fishing. While standing by the creek, Conrad saw a yellow substance shining in the water. He retrieved it and found it to be some type of metal. The huge wedge-shaped nugget was the size of a small flat iron and weighed 17 pounds. He showed the rock to his father, John Reed, who, unable to identify it, immediately employed it as a doorstop. There it sat for three years, unnoticed, while the Reeds tended their farm. In 1802, John showed the doorstop to a jeweler in Fayetteville who recognized the metal immediately and asked God to leave the nugget with him so it could be fluxed. When he returned, the jeweler showed him a bar of gold eight inches long. Reed had no conception of its worth and accepted $3.50 in payment for it. Estimates by researchers have placed the value of the nugget at approximately 3,600 at that time, worth $86,000 today. Here's the question. How many of you have ever felt cast aside like a doorstop? My early years in my undergrad were at Wheaton College, And I was, I think, maybe the only person there that had gone to a boarding school for for high school. I came in kind of jagged and rugged and a little bit of a dark side. I'm shocked looking back they let me in, honestly, a little wounded and calloused. And a lot of people there, were they they were the goody-two-shoe Christians. A lot of them had been homeschooled or been perfect their whole life. That wasn't my story. And honestly, I felt their judgment. Like, I I was not welcomed in. I was not called into a lot of those circles. And I was really struggling until a friend introduced me to Lyle Dorsett. Lyle Dorsett was a professor of evangelism and ran a master's program at Wheaton. He was also a recovering alcoholic. 
Lyle saw something in me, and he said, Paul, I want to disciple you. Would you afford me that opportunity? I said, I'd, I'd love it. I needed it. And he said, there's one caveat. If I'm going to start spending time with you, you need to promise to spend time in God's word. In fact, I want you to go through McShane's Bible calendar with me, and we're going to read the whole Bible together through in a year. And truth be told, I had never really read the Bible for myself until that moment. And here's what I noticed as I read the Bible. The gospel is for the teenage mom, the hopeless dad, the dirty shepherd, dying children, anxious parents, ailing parents, a foreign leader, guilt-ridden leader, disease-riddled man, heartbroken woman, faithless fisherman, fatherless boy, and on and on the list goes. And as I read these stories, I saw my story. And I saw the story for all of the people around me. You see, the gospel is for me, and it's for all of us. We all have worth in the eyes of God. No matter who you are or what you walked in with today, just like the Hellenistic Jews in our passage, you're part of the family. You're called to be part of the family. And this is what Pastor Drew did such a good job last week preaching on, the call and the security we get by being children of God. Luke, excuse me, Galatians 3, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus, and that is good news. And what's really fun about this series in Acts is the further we read in this book, the further we see the reach of the gospel. It literally goes out like a movement from Jerusalem. So no matter who you are, you matter to God. No matter your name, your age, your power, your possessions, your family of origin, your country of origin, the color of your skin, the color of your hair, your achievements, your failures, your experience or inexperience in Jesus Christ, you are a first-class citizen in the family of God. And the application here is this. We should all be humble and thankful. For whether we are new to the family or old to the family, through Jesus, we all belong in the family. Amen? In point three, we all have purpose. All right, time for a sporting analogy. Did anyone watch the Vikings and Saints game last weekend? Okay, I have to kind of adopt this, excuse me, the Vikings as my team. My wife is from Minnesota. Shout out to the Minnesotans in this corner of the room. Any other Minnesotans in this corner? Anywhere else? We got a whole family over here. They're extra nice, as all Minnesotans are. All right, so anyway, I'm watching this game, and the announcers are just pummeling Kirk Cousins, the starting quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings. Why? Well, here's why. Kirk, going into the weekend, had a 6-30 career record against winning teams and zero playoff victories. He was the ultimate choke artist as a quarterback, according to the announcers. In fact, I even saw yesterday he has a 21% winning percentage against playoff teams or winning teams. And, and as he played Mike's team this year, the Bears, and I think they lost early in the season, Adam Thielen at one point after the game, he only had 
two catches for six yards, speaking about his quarterback publicly, he said, it's so frustrating, it's unbelievable. That's not really awe-inspiring or encouraging words about your quarterback. So nonetheless, I'm watching last week, some of us are watching last week, and it's David versus Goliath, because Drew Brees leading the Saints Hall of Fame quarterback, maybe the highest percentage, uh, completion percentage in NFL history. I got a, yes, I got a head nod. They get to overtime, what happens? Is Kirk gonna choke again? Listen to these words from the Washington Post. To be born again, to diminish the perception that he has an incurable tendency to shrink at the worst time, he had to make the greatest throw of his career. A 43-yard dime of extreme difficulty to Adam Thielen in overtime. A pass that required so much precision and touch that it seemed as though he were trying to land a jet in your backyard without waking the children. It was an impossible play, thrown between two defenders and thrown by a quarterback allegedly, excuse me, allegedly allergic to the deep ball that put the Minnesota Vikings within a door knock of their 26 to 20 victory at the New Orleans Saints on Sunday. So he throws this perfect pass. Yes, the choke artist. He winds up and he, he throws it right down the middle of the field. Thielen, the perennial pro bowler, is running. And what's fascinating about Thielen, the guy that had criticized him, he doesn't look back. He looks up. And I had to keep pausing the game and I, I knew I'd use it for a sermon. And, and I started taking pictures of my TV and I'm going, what? I'm calling Carly, and she's like, I really don't care, even though I'm from there. You should care. He's look, I don't know how you do it. He's literally looking like this, right? I got photographic evidence. I got a photographer here. Look, and he's still looking, and now the ball's coming. How do you see that ball? But he's running, looking up, right? And then the ball comes, and it hits him actually in the right shoulder. And he starts to grab the ball almost dropping the ball, and all the while, a defender is grabbing on to his right shoulder. And lo and behold, he corrals the ball, and the Vikings win the game. Now, here's what I want to point out. Thielen didn't look back. He looked up ready for his opportunity. Gospel leadership is looking up and being ready for your opportunity. We all have purpose. The passage goes on. The 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait tables or do mercy ministry. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. In 1 Peter, we read these words, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. You see, God doesn't just want you on the team. He wants you on the field. And in our church, at One Fellowship, all of our regulars and founders are asked to play a role on the field. How? Through our One Fellowship Serve teams. And I just want to highlight these teams 
this morning. First, our connections team welcoming people into the family of God. Our in-service team welcoming people into the presence of God. Our kids team growing kids in the presence of God. Our students team growing teenagers and teenagers in the presence of God. Our events people hustling to serve people for God and for us. Meals team, helping those in need in a backdoor kind of way, people that are going through hospitalization or have new babies. We have a whole SWAT team of you people in here doing amazing work. And of course, our worship and productions team that makes today and Sundays happen. The application is this. Everyone is invited to look up and sign up to play a role in building God's family with us this year. You have worth and you have purpose in God's family and our family. What role are you gonna play on the field with us this year? On the seats, actually every other seat, but on the seats around you, you'll find one of these serve team cards. If you're someone who says, this is my home, this is my family, well, let's build together. I specifically want to invite you to take one of these cards. If you don't have one, they're behind each column in the center of the room. There are also pens. And literally just fill out your information, check a box or two, and put it in the offering basket at the end of the service. For those who have made our church a special place, thank you. We're special because we're all in it together. So to summarize our passage, when our fractured family acts like a faithful family, we'll be a flourishing family. The passage ends, the word of God prospered, it flourished, a movement happened in their midst and through their midst. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased dramatically. Wouldn't it be cool for people to say about you and about our church that they're flourishing? That family is flourishing. We gotta check it out. God is doing some, Aslan, to quote C.S. Lewis, is on the move. We gotta check it out. I am excited to create more space to share in more gratitude and to partner with more people in building God's family this year. Who's with me? Who's with us? Yeah, let's go. All right. I feel like I could run onto a football field, but I'm, I'm just a preacher. I had to do that, let's go. It's playoff season. Let's, let's close this time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I actually, I celebrate that you call us and tell us, let's go. That you send your love to change us, show us our worth. To fill those cracks. God, for those who are here this morning carrying shame and guilt, would you remove that through the love of Jesus? May they turn and trust you afresh today. They belong in this family. And God, for those, they know they're called to build your family with us. Would you have people rise up in their purpose to play a role in the field with you and with us this year? We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.